You're listening to the Just Giants podcast with Grump and the Cranky Fan. Be sure to subscribe on iTunes and SoundCloud today. Welcome back to Just Giants with Grump and the Cranky Fan, the best damn podcast for the best damn football team. I'm your host, the Football Grump, and with me as always is Mike, the Cranky Fan. Thanks everyone for tuning in. I just returned Grump from the Giants Town Hall that they had for season ticket holders. Um, I don't know, I wouldn't necessarily call it a private event. I mean, you know, they there were tickets distributed. You could have got in if you wanted to, but it was really directed towards the season ticket holders, and it was good. You know, it was one of those things where after a three and thirteen season, it's nice to kind of, you know get the fan base excited again and get a little personal with, you know, ownership, management, new players, stars, and everything. I, I kind of compare it to like going to a political rally. You know, you're really just throwing red meat, you know, at your base. And it was well received. I was, uh, I was pretty surprised by the reaction, how the fans take it. I, mean, I, I thought you'd have some kind of pissed off people, but there definitely seems to be a, let's leave the past in the past and let's look forward feeling from the fans and, you know, definitely from the coaches and the players. It was, um, it was good. It was, it was, uh, 90 minutes up at the beacon theater. It was a good time. Well, I mean, I, I think, um, a lot of the vitriols put aside because so much has already been done. I mean, obviously we have seen no results yet, but you can't say that the mayors have done nothing. If, if Ben McAdoo were going up there for the press conference, um, I oh. think you might have seen a lot more vitriol than anything else. Yeah, this this could have really if they if McAdoo would come back and you know we hadn't made the moves we had, you know th- that could have been ugly. You know they they do have a pretty extensive question and answer note. Uh, you know they they had a couple of questions that were brought in from you know Facebook and everything, but they did probably had about thirty overall questions from the audience, and it could have been really ugly. With someone like McAdoo, and you can tell already with a guy like Shermer that he's much more uh, public relations savvy than McAdoo was. McAdoo was, you know, he's from that that mold of a um, uh, Bill Belichick, where he has he's just trying to do his job and can't be bothered with the outside world. This guy's a little more personable, and it, it definitely kind of showed. And uh, even Mara, you know, and we'll, we'll talk about you know what happened. I'll, I'll give you like the high points of the of the show and everything the presentation but uh definitely came out of there and again i'm not the biggest rah-rah guy when it comes to events like this you know i always feel like coaches win the spring they everyone is the champion after the spring and you know the results are obviously on the field but i did come out of there feeling like that you know the rookie class seems like a you know pretty good bunch of guys don't seem like any you know on the surface like any real punks you know it was good to see the leadership of guys like Landon Collins and the questions he asked, you know, Eli has that you know, doofusy nerdy charm about him and his, you know, his humor is pretty dorky, but you know, it works. So it was good. Now, was this the first town hall that you've attended? Because they do have this pretty much every year. This is the fourth one. I believe this is the third one I've been to. I think I missed last year because I was working somewhere. Um, but I've, I've been to, Definitely one before, and I think I've been to – I think this is my third one. Mm-hmm. Um, I think one time it was at the uh, the theater at the Garden. Uh, 
but this one was at the Beacons, which is a pretty cool place. I don't know if you ever mm-hmm. have seen a concert or anything there before, but it's a, it's a great venue. For all of you listening to this on Wednesday morning on your way into work or on your way home from work Wednesday afternoon, you could have gotten all of Mike's notes that you're about to hear by following him on Twitter. Um, at the Cranky Fan, he was churning out stuff as it was happening, which was pretty nice. And I was retweeting it at all uh, at football underscore grump. So, yeah, well, well, let's go through kind of like my notes here. I have I was kind of on my phone dropping down notes and things. Uh, you know the um, the first thing you know, the first thing uh, Mara comes out there, and you know he's kind of in you know that you know. We feel these are very important things to have, these town halls, because it's for you, the fans, why we do it and everything. And the fans were appreciative of them. Um, there was not a boo in the audience. Again, people were – seemed like they were ready to turn the page and move on. Um, he made the comment about Eli Manning saying he hadn't missed a game in 15 years due to injury, and the crowd started booing. Well, wow. I mean, they, they all pretty <laughs> much knew that came from the right. top down, right? Well, exactly. And, you know, Mara and, you know, I'm not sure if he was part of the decision making process or not. He was definitely consulted. I don't know whether he had a vote or not, but he was definitely like, I know, I know, I know. So uh, that was that was one of the uh, the funniest points of the evening. It went from a booing. You know, obviously the fans, every time you bring up someone like the Patriots or the Cowboys or the Eagles, lots of booing, you know, kind of good natured, but kind of, you know, you know where this crowd obviously was. Mm. Um he, um, Mayor talked about, somebody asked him the question, if there were five giants living or dead, he would like to speak to. And the first thing he says is, well, I have spoken to LT and that is, you know, nothing else can compare to having a conversation with him because you can't make up half the things that LT has experienced in his life. So that was, that was pretty funny. Hmm. Um, he definitely talked about, you know, the attitude in the building is different and better than it has been in the past couple of years. I mean, that's the closest I think you're ever going to get to, you know, at the very top saying that, you know, McAdoo wasn't the right fit and was a mistake of a hire, you know, blah, blah, blah. But, mm-hmm. you know, just that kind of implied, you know, without one game being played and, you know, not even getting into mandatory mini camps and much less training camp that he said the attitude is definitely different around here. It, and it seems like get my, my quote here, things seem more organized and more focused than they have been in quite a while. And. When we get to talking about Pat Shermer, that was something I definitely noticed in his, you know, how he was talking. Now, obviously, he's been practicing these lines, you know, over and over again in press conferences and, you know, on his rubber chicken tour around talking to different people. But you could definitely tell that some coaches seem more organized and have a plan than others do. And, you know, whether that's just they don't like to talk or they just want to keep everything on the inside, he definitely sounded like a guy who has a plan. Um, well, I mean, he's got a lot more experience. I mean, he's already been through this rigmarole in Cleveland where, you know, there's there's no forgiveness there. I mean, guys yeah. are ushered in and out of that town. And then beyond that, I mean, he's been offensive coordinator all over the place. He's had to face the press. McAdoo yeah. wasn't even an offensive coordinator in Green Bay, so I don't know how often the – the quarterback's coach really has to answer questions to the media. Well, and the way the Giants had set up for the past several years was you talk to the assistant coaches twice a year. Like, isn't there like mm-hmm. like one time during like week nine or so, like the bye week, and then one time before camp? And you're right, I didn't even think it even got down to the position level. Um, but we'll get we'll get into uh, into Shermer. One of the questions that was asked of him was. 
what have you learned from the experience from Cleveland to now? And, you know, one of his comments was, I wish I knew then what I know now about not only X's and O's, but communication. You know, how do I communicate with my players? And, you know, he stressed that over and over is an important thing is, you know, this football is a game played by players and our job is to put them in the best position to win. It's not a job. It's not a, a game that's the coaches are coaching and players are pawns. You kind of looked at the opposite way. So um, one thing that did strike me is having, you know, Shermer up there and having the two offensive, you know, the two coordinators was these guys seem like young guys, but not in a young way like McAdoo was. You seem like a young, young guy, and a, a green guy. It just seemed like they were younger and kind of more in tune with what the NFL is today, both of the way the game is played and what the players are like now, because, you know, we, you know, obviously the, the NBA finals are going on now and you see how basketball has changed in the last couple of years. The NFL has definitely changed in the last couple of years. You know, the product on the field, the way players conduct themselves, you know, on the field and off the field. And it's a whole different. So, you know, having a guy like a Tom Coughlin or maybe even a guy like a Bill Belichick may not be 100% in touch with what the game is today and what the players are like. So I definitely felt a little like, okay, I think these guys get what the NFL is today. That's very interesting. I mean, I, I, I just want to go back to what you were saying before about how Pat Shermer took the opposite approach to how the game is played with players playing and coaches sort of putting the chess pieces in the right places to win versus – coaches coaching and that's the way it goes I mean obviously I can say that up and down about how Ben McAdoo's system was his system regardless of you know talent on the team or you know situationally um, but just in general as Pat Shermer and Mike Shula um, we've we've said this a couple times in reviewing their stuff they have no real true defined system they have put their guys in a a chance to win. I mean, if you just look at the guys that they've had to deal with, they're they're just completely different skill sets wherever they were. So, yeah, yeah. I mean, I'm not surprised, but that's that's definitely good to hear. Yeah, Betcher, I'm jumping a little ahead of myself here, but like one of the things he said about somebody asked him about the transition from a four three to a three four, and he's like, you know, something on first down we may show a three four look, and on second down we might show a four three look. It depends on. You know, we're still going through our evaluation of our 90-man roster. We're still going through our evaluation. will be cut down to 53. And we will always be evaluating who these guys are and what their skill sets are. And we will adjust based upon our strengths. So, you know, to say, well, I have a 3-4 and F you, this is what we're running. That's not his MO. I mean, he says that right now, you know, only time will tell. I mean, I think if you go and look at every single coach's press conference you know, they always say the same thing. We'll be multiple. We'll do this. We'll adjust. Mm. And, you know, I think Ben McAdoo, if you look at his introductory press conference, said the same thing. And how many times do we see a base 11 offense with, you know, so predictable? Over 90% you know. of the time. Exactly. So, although I, I really, you know, again, I'm going to give the benefit of the doubt and we'll, we'll see it. But um, the, but getting back to Shermer, the, the biggest news I think that came out of this, I don't know if it's, you know, stop the press's news, but Somebody asked the question about, well, with all the like tackling rules that have changed, how are these players going to be ready for the regular season? And he said, well, we value 
the preseason. We value the games, and you're going to see starters play. You know, this is not something where we're so afraid these guys are going to get hurt. We, you know, they have to play. They have to get their reps. You know, they need their reps in OTAs. They need their reps in minicamp. They need their reps in training camp, and they need their reps in game time action. So. I think the days of seeing Eli not playing the first game and playing two snaps the second game, I think are going to be over. Um, you know, you only get so much hitting time in this league with the way the CBA is. And he made it pretty clear that you're going to see these guys playing more than you have in the past. So I thought that was very interesting. Uh, yeah. And on one hand, I super like that. Uh, I, I had mentioned on the last year's podcast that I dislike the fact that, um, the, you know, that chemistry with like, the wide receivers and, you know, maybe Eli calling shots at the line and calling out protections, it's not happening in in game-like situations. So that first game is sort of this sloppy mess. On the other hand, we saw what happened to Odell Beckham in preseason last year. And I understand that injuries are part of the game, but it's certainly not one that you want in a meaningless game. Yeah, I think, you know, again, you can't bubble wrap these guys. They have to play, and they have to play 100%. 100% effort, 100% of the time. And you know something, if somebody goes down in training camp, it sucks. But you know something, that's the risk that all 32 teams have to deal with. And, you know, we've seen the NFL, you know, the quality of play across the first month has really deteriorated in the last, you know, few years. Because more and more of these teams are, you know, pretty much between the new rules and the way they have a hands-off approach to training camp. It's not good football. These teams are not ready. It's almost like having, you know, an a eight or nine game preseason as opposed to a four game one. So I, I think you just have to play and you, these guys get ready, you know, and we understand the risks and, you know, you just go from there. Yeah. And we've talked about how it's sort of, it's not really fan service to have preseason games. I mean, it's almost a shame that they charge for them because it's such a bad product. But there's nothing really worse than having that product spill over into the full price, full consequences regular season. Yeah, it's um we the Giants are one of several teams that at least have reduced the cost of preseason games. Uh, they've raised the price on their regular season ticket, but it is a cheaper ticket on a per game basis. So that means if you have, you know, a set of tickets to see Giants Patriots in that fourth game of the year, you're not out hundreds and hundreds of dollars. You're out maybe a hundred dollars or something. And that's they're trying to be fair, but you know something, it's you know, and the Giants are a little unique too because in the New York area, in the Jets and the Giants, nobody gives a shit about preseason. You know, oh, it's. Yeah. You'll see there's 20, 25,000 people at Giant Stadium. This is a market that, you know, with all four major sports, it's a cyclical market where you're going to have Yankee talk and, Yankee, and the Yankees are going to own the interests of the sports fan in New York until their run is over. Uh, whereas other places like, you know, Tampa Bay or Jacksonville, where it's really the only game in town, where, you know, the talk about the third team left tackle will be the dominant talk on sports radio in these places in July. They don't have to, you know, they don't have a baseball pennant race to worry about or anything. So it's a little different here. Yeah, that's certainly true. Um, I guess one of the bigger things, and I don't know how much of this was involved in the town hall, but um, 
Dave Gettleman was diagnosed very, very recently with lymphoma. Yes, he was. Um, they did say last, he was supposed to be there originally, but they found out ten days ago. Um, Mara said. I mean, they kind of they kind of brushed by it pretty quickly. They said, I think, uh, you know, Dave obviously not going to be here because he ha- he's dealing with a situation. Like they didn't say what exactly it was, or, but we all anybody with you know. Twitter or anything knows exactly what's going on, but he did say that he was diagnosed about 10 days ago. So the organization is aware of it. Um, he, he, there was a statement. I think he said he was, the, the doctors are very confident and so am I that he'll beat this thing. Um, so he wasn't there today, but it was definitely, I've seen tweets from numerous people around the league, a lot of giant players, current ones and former ones saying they hope he does well and everything. So, um, I mean, Gettleman is old. I mean, he is not a you know forty-five-year-old general manager. He's sixty-seven or sixty-eight. So you know, this situation aside, you know, I don't think he's pegged to be a long-term person with the Giants. I think his job is to turn this team around and get it on the right step, and then you know, hand the reins over to somebody else. Interesting. I was just going to ask you about that. So while I see Pat Shermer as more of a long-term situation. You know, I, I think you stick with a head coach as long as the hot hand is the hot hand, right? I mean, mm-hmm. if he goes in there and you start seeing results, you're not going to switch it around. But I think Dave Gettleman was in here to make the tough decisions and, you know, right the ship. But I don't think that he was the long-term general manager solution. I mean, I don't know. I don't have the numbers in front of me, but I'm curious how many general managers in this league are older than him. I don't think there's that many that are in their 70s. Yeah, I, I really don't know. But but I mean even when it happened when it when it was first announced just it it just struck to me that he was here to come into the burning pile of shit and start putting out yeah. the flames but not necessarily be the pioneer and, of the future. And there's guys like that across all sports. Like when a basketball team brings Jerry Weston to be their GM, he's not going to be there for the next fifteen years. I mean again he's another guy in his seventies, but he's brought into clean up the salary cap and make, like you said, make the hard decisions because again, his you know window is very small. So um, again, now I guess the obvious question for that is, is there somebody in the building now that's the heir apparent to get them in, whether it's, you know, it could be, you know, it could be in three weeks. We don't know. I mean, if this yeah. lymphoma situation is a lot worse than anybody knows it is, including what Gettleman knows, you know that secession plan probably needs to be in place right now. So I don't know if there's somebody in the building that's being groomed to be his successor, or they have anybody on their radar. I mean, maybe when they were doing their their analysis for the new GM hire, they have somebody they can you know dust off the resume. But um, well, I, I know there was some buzz about Kevin Kevin Abrams, I believe is his name. Mm-hmm. He's like their money guy, pretty much. He writes right. up the contracts and keeps the cap and. He's a yeah. capologist. You're right, right. Um, so I, I don't really I, I, know if that's if that's like a real thing, but there was some speculation before Gettleman was announced that he might be a guy. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, but it's all again, very interesting. Yeah, we're hoping for obviously for the best for him. You know, forget what he does to the Giants. Just as a person, you hate to hear these stories of anybody. So, oh sure, uh, yeah. But it sounds like from the initial, you know, press release is that they caught it early and the doctors are optimistic and he's optimistic. So, you know, we, we hope for the best. 
Yeah, I mean, was there was there anything else? I mean, you talked about Shermer, uh, Betcher, Mara. Uh, Betcher was, you know, we've nothing really earth shattering. You know, the things he said before he. His axioms for running a defense are stop the run, put pressure on the quarterback. You know, so I think because I think the original question was something about the secondary, and he's like, you know, the more important, the big things, the way this op defense is built is, you know, stopping the run first, putting pressure on the quarterback. And he did say, I like to put pressure on the quarterback, and with a little twinkle in his eye, and the the, the crowd did start clapping immediately when he did say that. So I don't think you're going to see the very, you know. I think you'll see more aggression than you did last year. Um, I think having better linebackers is going to help that as well. How, well, how much of that do you being, think was, was service towards a fan base that is used to a team getting after the quarterback and hasn't lately? Oh, I mean, again, this is – I hate to use this analogy, but this is Donald Trump speaking to his minions and you know the, the red meat where you know – and you, all you have to say to a Giant fan is blue-collar – Defense, yeah. pressure of the quarterback, linebackers, LT. I mean, there's buzzwords you can just say that gives that crowd a bunch of stiffies. And when you say <laughs> defense, it was a wood fest. So, <laughs> so yeah. I'm kind of glad I, I, I didn't show up, I guess. Yeah, well, it was, it was, it was enjoyable. Um, <laughs> not, not from a stiffies. I'm in charge I mean, of editing this, by the way, just so yes, you know. Yes, please, please do that. Let's not get that out. Um <laughs> And then finally, they brought out, you know, first they brought out the entire rookie class, the draft class. Um, Will Hernandez stole the show, I think. Uh, first of all, I was very surprised that he got a bigger ovation than Barkley did. Now, Barkley obviously got a huge ovation because people, he's pressed to be the next big star in this town, you know, across all four sports and across all 11 teams. But the Giant fan is very knowledgeable. And the Giant fan knows that the biggest problem on this team last year was the offensive line. Mm. And they, you know, very big ovation for him to come on. And he understands, you know, he understands why he was brought in here and what he has to do. Um, very articulate guy. You know, you know, he, I think he kind of stole the show pretty much just with his answers to different questions because there were a lot of questions went his way, you know, and – um you know, again, he said all the right things, and it was good. Um, it's kind of funny when they asked all of the rookies who your favorite team was growing up. People got very nervous because they knew that the Sharks are out there. And, you know, a couple of guys were, you know, Cowboy fans growing up. One, um, Kyle Oletta was uh, an Eagle fan because he said, well, I grew up just outside of Philadelphia. And almost you can see, like, the tomatoes and things being thrown at him. But uh, he took <laughs> He took it well. It was all in good fun. So it was, uh, you know, the, the goal for something like this is you want to get your fan base on a little more personal level with, you know, everybody. And I definitely think that, you know, you read this stuff about all this draft coverage for months and months and the draft happens and you watch these little videos on, you know, Twitter and stuff and but there are all helmets on. You have no personal connection with these guys at all. And it was good to get, you know, at least for 90 minutes. A little bit of a, you know, okay, we know this guy is more serious and this guy is a goofball. And so that that was really good. Um, the last piece was they brought out some of the veterans. And obviously the biggest standing ovation was for Eli. And, you know, he's uh, he's Eli. You know, the guy is so even keel that 
he sounds like he was when he was a rookie. He sounds like after he won the Super Bowl, he sounds like last year when he thought he was probably going to get released. And, uh, you know, he gives his standard answers. He's got this nerdy charm about him. Like, he's not a very funny guy, but he tries to be funny, and that makes him funny. <laughs> so, yeah. Uh, I like some nine-year-old kid asked him a question, you know, uh, what, what did you think after Tyree caught that ball in the Super Bowl? And he's just like, well, the first thing I thought was that's exactly the way we practice it all week. You know, I was, <laughs> I'm just glad we executed the way we practice it. And that's pretty Eli-ish, you know. Yeah. <laughs> um, who else was out there? Uh, Landon Collins was out there and uh, somebody asked him the question, do you expect to be a captain this year? And he's just like, yes. <laughs> and that got a pretty big uh, ovation. He's like, you know, even if I don't have a C on my uniform, I can still act like I am a captain and I will act like a leader. Man, that team. that is a captain's answer too. I mean, you know, in the last 30 years of watching the Giants, who the natural captains are, guys like, you know, Antonio Pierce, you know, guys that are just Harry Carson, obvious captains. And, he definitely feels at this point like this is his defense. And, you know, so that was good. Uh, Ogletree was there. You know, again, another well-spoken guy, charming guy. You know, it's too bad he went to Georgia. but I was uh, waiting for it. I, you weren't going to get too complimentative. No, no, he, he came off as a pretty good guy. Uh, somebody, some, like, some guy in his 20s asked a question wearing an Eli Old Miss jersey. And that got Ogletree and it got Landon Collins riled up. You know, they gave him the big thumbs down because I think Eli was like, hey, nice jersey. And those guys were just like, you know, <laughs> not buying it. So that was uh, that was pretty cool. Um, but, you know, overall, I, I think the night exactly served its purpose. I think this is a team that is in transition and definitely needs to turn the page from the stink of last year. And I think this was a good way to introduce, you know, this new staff and these new players and the, the holdovers that are going to be, you know, key cogs to this fan base. And again, you had, it was packed with season ticket holders. These weren't, you know, Joe from Massapequa on the fan calling and bitching or, you know, the cranky fan on Twitter complaining about something. This was, these are, you know, a lot of, um, you know, there's a lot of young people, but there are a lot of guys in their sixties and seventies that were there too, you know, wearing, you know, shirts, you know, they probably wore when they were watching the Giants at Yankee Stadium and stuff. It's really interesting how many people were wearing jerseys and stuff. Like they were dressed for a game. It was uh, hmm. so good time. Good time had by all, and I definitely think you know, as you're getting into the uh, the OTA mini camp, you know, it's nice to read about stuff going on, but you still look at the calendar and you're like, Jesus Christ, a we lot still have- of time. I August we have three solid months before we get to the regular season. And it was good to kind of to connect again with the team. So, and on that note, um, this is the last week of OTAs before mandatory mini camp starts next week. Um, just a couple of notes. Um, again, Beckham did not show for this week. The, the idea is that he had shown up for the first week of OTAs and is now rehabbing himself and making sure that he is good for mini camp next week where he's expected to attend. What's the first word of next week's minicamp? They're called blank minicamps. Mandatory. Mandatory. These are voluntary. So, you know, again, we don't know what the situations are with all these guys. We can speculate all you want about contracts and blah, 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 but who knows? I mean, 
especially with a new coaching staff, you have to think the communication is probably as good as it's ever going to be right now. So, That's a good point. You know, I don't get worried, very honestly, in, unless he's not there for the first offensive series in the first regular season game. Yeah, he's, me either. If, if, I, he, I think... if, if he holds out, whatever. Doesn't play in the first preseason game, whatever. You know, it, it's this is a game that has to be played. It will play out. It will be drama. People will go ape shit on Twitter and on sports radio and everything. But the bottom line is, it doesn't mean anything until he actually starts missing games. Then we get a little worried. But I mean, I'll start with missing actual practice. I mean, after training camp after preseason that first week of practice to me is just as important as that first game but nevertheless i mean what i'm really trying to highlight here is we are transitioning this week into next week from the voluntary otas to the mandatory mini camp so we are progressing a little bit into the summer here yeah um and just a, just a couple of ota notes um you know a lot of good news from about eli apple and davis webb i, I you know davis webb is the air is he the heir apparent, et cetera? That's just, you know, talk. It's not really relevant to the season probably, but we couldn't be asking for more news about Eli Apple being good. Um, so it's, yeah, it's, it, that's called, it's called winning the spring again. I think a lot of it is, it could be PR, but by him, his agent and by the team. Um, I mean, there, I, there's, you know, reporters that have no money to make off of it. So, yeah, I, to me, I'd be, I'd be much more concerned than I am happy about. I'd be much more concerned if I heard bad things than I am happy about hearing good things. Because that's a good point. Yeah. I think you can really spin anything right now, and you know, mm-hmm. if he, you know, if he goes to the bathroom and he wipes the seat, that's a positive it could be spun into. You know, it's let's see when the bullets fly, and let's see what happens when. He gets burnt in a real game, and let's see what happens if they lose a couple games. So again, I always I say it all the time: you win the spring, and he's doing everything he can now to win the spring. The spring is also much more scripted than real life in the fall. It's true. Um, I'm just happy to be hearing good things again, more so than hearing bad things or hearing nothing at all. You know, yeah. something more along the lines of what you're saying is um, where, where I think it's more ambiguous that it's being spun positive is. Jalapio getting a lot of first team reps at center and you know that's really good that's that's cool that uh the coaching staff has liked what they've seen but does that mean that John Jalapio is really good does that mean Brett Jones is not as good as we thought you know that that to me is the more ambiguous thing especially because you can't really see anything from offensive line play now so yeah. I mean, right now they're seeing that he knows the scheme. He's picking things up. He's taking command of the line calls. Maybe he's got good technique. I mean, none of that. Yeah, I don't. Uh, I don't think it's a knock at all on on Brett Jones. I think, you know, I know there's going to be a lot of uh, focus on right tackle and what's going to happen there. But to me, center is a pretty big question mark too. I mean, I think he's one of those tweener starter backup guys, and. I would like to see competition at least in training camp for it. And the fact that Halapio is at least going to provide competition gets me more excited because I don't want to just hand the job to Jones and say it's yours. I'm not comfortable with him yet being the, you know, every down center on this team going forward. So at least we're going to see a worthy candidate for competition for training camp. Now, if Jones wins it, you know, and if it's a legitimate competition, I'm going to feel better about the situation. 
Sure. But um, I, I think, you know, I, I don't think it's got anything right because you can't really do much of anything right now from a competition standpoint at this point when you're walking around in your undies and stuff. I think once you get into training camp, and if they're really going to make it a competition as opposed to window dressing, so be it. Yeah. And and for the record, I think Jones or Jalapio, I think center is a position that is going to be addressed in either free agency or the draft in the next couple of years. I mean, either yeah. next year or the year after. I, I don't think either one of these guys are a big I'll part either. of the future plans here. I also will go on the record now to say I think the backup center is not on this roster yet. Interesting. And that's that's pretty much it for us. Uh, you know, that was just a, the end of the OTAs is this week. And uh, the Giants Town Hall were a lot of the things that we wanted to cover. Next week, we're going to continue with our season previews. We've already got the first three games covered, so we'll just keep rolling down the list and any news that pops up in regards to minicamp, etc. And, yeah, just stick with us. Um, as always, the show is on iTunes and SoundCloud. Just Giants. Give it a search. Give us a five-star rating. And please leave us some nice comments to read. Um, and follow us on Twitter. I'm at football underscore grump. I am always at the cranky fan. Show is at just giants pod. You yeah. can, yeah, you can um, do us a nice big favor and go into iTunes and give us a five star rating and a nice friendly review. The more ratings and reviews we get, the more fans we'll have, more we can interact with you guys on social media. And more importantly, as always, we, we're in desperate need of sponsors so we can get P-A-I-D. <laughs> All right, everyone. Go Giants. Go Giants.